Welcome, ravenous readers and culture consumers, to Bohemian Geek Studies. The place where nerdy knights gather together to kickstart the hit sequel to the game Gloomhaven and share our insatiable thirst for intellectual discussions about our favorite books, shows, and movies. My name is Sarah O'Connor, Queen of Queries, Lady of Literature, and Defender of Droids. Pew pew! And I'm Willie. Grammarian Inquisitor, Lord Charcuterie, and Keeper of Lengthy Records. And this is Flo, Ambassador from Naboo, Chudley Cannon's aficionado, and Manager of Mischief. As a friendly disclaimer, each episode of BGS is meant to be enjoyed by everyone, but we encourage you to listen to the episode first without younglings present to make sure it's right for the whole family. Last week, we launched a newt at Miss Trunchbull and cheered on Lavender, Matilda, and other noble nerdy knights in Miss Honey's classroom as they fought back against the manticore of Crunchum Hall, giantess Agatha Trunchbull. Now, this week, we're looking at two chapters, chapter 15, called The Second Miracle, and chapter 16, Miss Honey's Cottage, to explore the theme, Secret Powers. As Miss Honey starts exploring Matilda's hidden powers away from prying eyes and off school grounds. So, without further ado, let's get into the quick summary of chapters before taking a detailed dorky dive more deeply into that delicious text. Kicking off our first chapter for today, entitled The Second Miracle, Matilda stays after class to talk to Miss Honey about her powers. Skeptical at first, Miss Honey is positively gobsmacked when Matilda reproduces her glass tipping trick in the quiet, empty room. The chapter closes with Miss Honey asking Matilda over to her cottage for some talent scouting, like American Idol. Oh, no, tea, tea. That's that's what they do in the UK. <laughs> now we're saving discussing the actual cottage and its contents for the next episode, where we'll be focusing on Miss Honey's secret truths. So for purposes of this episode... In the first part of Miss Honey's Cottage, Matilda and Miss Honey discuss their plans for how to approach exploring Matilda's mysterious powers, what those powers may be, and the temperance Matilda may need to master before it's safe for her to explore her unquantifiable abilities. Thanks, you two. And with those excellent summaries in mind, let's explore some of the more pertinent passages in these two fantastic chapters. So to me, a big message behind the secret miracle chapter is that Matilda is willing and able to share such a deep personal secret with someone who is finally a trusted adult. The idea of outing yourself in whatever regard is scary and personal is frankly, scary and personal. So Will, can you start off this chapter breakdown with a key quote beginning this chapter? Yes, I'd love to. Matilda did not join the rush to get out of the classroom. After the other children had all disappeared, she remained at her desk, quiet and thoughtful. She knew she had to tell somebody about what had happened with the glass. She couldn't possibly keep a gigantic secret like that bottled up inside her. What she needed was just one person, one wise and sympathetic grown-up, who could help her to understand the meaning of this extraordinary happening. Neither her mother nor her father would be of any use at all, if they believed her story, and it was doubtful that they would. They almost certainly would fail to realize what an astounding event it was that had taken place in the classroom that afternoon. On the spur of the moment, Matilda decided that the one person she would like to confide in was Miss Honey. 
And so I was wondering, would you two mind kind of kicking this off? Since I selected this quote for this episode, did this passage resonate with you two, Flo? Did this, does this resonate with your students? What do you two think of a very key passage, at least for me personally? For me, what really hit me was that she picked Miss Honey after only knowing her for a week. And that just really tells you how few adults are in Matilda's life that she feels any kinship to. Um, it is a little bit surprising that she wouldn't go tell Miss Phelps first. So that, yeah. was, that mm. was something that was a little bit um, just interesting to notice. But I think also Matilda felt like she had to tell somebody right then and there. And six-year-olds are not really known for their patience. And so I'm sure she felt like she was going to explode if she didn't tell somebody right that minute that she had moved a glass with her eyeballs. Yeah, that's a really good... Oh, I like that point. Will, you you yeah. first before I respond to that. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that is really interesting because it feels like it's... Miss Honey seems like more personal as opposed mm -hmm. to this more kind of like professional almost relationship she has with herself i don't know but with this section and particularly this quote i go back to kind of a theme that i've been th thinking about in this read through of the book for me which is lgbtq um, issues people who find themselves to be outsiders at a young age yeah. um, there's a lot 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 to be um, said for this quote especially uh, in terms of people thinking about coming out about big secret that they just can't keep inside who do you trust you know you don't especially that part where she decides very quickly it's not her mother it's not her father it's yeah. good it's got to be somebody else yeah i i really like both of those perspectives and i suppose i had always looked at it when i was reading from like miss honey is this safe repository of of secret knowledge and that was very very special and important to me to see in literature someone needing help and feeling ah they they found that trusted source but that's why it's really cool to talk about it with more than one person because with your two insights and especially with flows you know quote unquote hot take which i think is a totally fine temperature take i think it's lukewarm at this point <laughs> you know yeah and so like I, when i was a child i read it as a child who was dealing with these new explorations of knowledge as more of an adult i can see the like look at me look at how flipping cool this is i'm letting you in on something really cool but special about me let's actually take a vocab moment to break down what this quote actually means in the practice for educators in the actual world. To me, someone who had not necessarily learned what proper boundaries are or for people who have different relationships and role models, Flo, you can't speak on behalf of everyone, but can you help give us some insight into things like student-teacher confidentiality, mandated reporting, and what kind of goes through the mind of educators when students come to them with serious issues like being able to use telekinesis? <laughs> well, that particular case has never happened to me, but 
I do yet. deal with a lot of student teacher confidentiality issues, um, as well as mandated reporting issues. So for those of you who don't know, teachers and other some other professions like nurses and doctors are mandated reporters, which means that if we suspect something specifically, um, usually abuse, whether that's physical or mental or neglect, um, we have to report those things to the state through Child Protective Services. It's not an option. You can't choose to do it. It is a mandate. Yeah. You are forced to report it. And so we go through mandated reporter training every year. Um, it's an uncomfortable thing, which is why we go through it every single year. Yeah. Um, I have never personally made a report. However, there are times where I should have made a report and not. So I'm going to out myself right now. As a teacher, the hard thing that we deal with is we usually will tell somebody, we'll usually okay. tell an administrator, and then we kind of put it on the administrator to make the choice. That's not how mandated reporting works. If yeah. you've seen it, you're supposed to make the report. Um, but it's Oh, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, before you do that, since we've got a, a lawyer in, in the house, Will, could we do like a vocab within a vocab inception moment? Oh, man. Like a, a one-liner hitter. What's the difference between like mandated reporting? The difference between shall and must. Something that like shall, must, can, may, etc. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is legal duties, right? So the, the teacher, the nurse, the doctor, they have that legal duty to report. And it's like you said, it's it's mandatory. It's not a may. So, Flo, I guess what you're saying is it's, it's not optional for you to go to an administrator and kind of get their opinion on it. It's kind of a must situation. Although, practically speaking, like if you're internal to a school, I feel like it's it may be okay but i don't know I, I, i'm not i'm not an education lawyer i'm so. gonna say i didn't get fired yet so. <laughs> there we go All right, there. Um, it's it's complicated it's very it's complicated. i'm sure so when i was actually a student teacher we had um a very serious situation where a student i won't like go super into it just for confidentiality purposes of course of course basically a student's parent was no longer capable of taking care of them oh. and there was a caretaker who was taking care of that parent and um, a situation happened where this caretaker um, neglected this child oh, and man. we brought it to administration and they basically said they would do nothing because that child was an undocumented immigrant and it was too dangerous for that child if we reported it because they would get deported. So sometimes there's a lot of gray areas and it's difficult to know when to when to report something when to not um i've definitely had students like matilda to miss honey bring things to me and yeah. be like no like you have to keep this a secret so no there are certain things we cannot keep a secret self-harm is a big thing that we deal with specifically right, yeah. when students bring that to us um we have to report that so that's happened to me and i've had to break student confidence and report that and it sucks because mm -hmm. yeah. you, but want, you have to you have to right yeah, yeah. I mean it's not a choice and right. unfortunately like you just hope that student will understand eventually why you had to do it and why you had to break their quote-unquote trust but right um yeah it's hard it's the hard part of our job for sure so and on the flip side there's yeah I was about to say could we like we all need like a, a break. Sorry, now. I it down but mandated reporting is a really big deal and yeah. important for families to understand that like 
this is not a thing against your family. We're not doing it to break up your family or send CPS to your home. It is something that we have to do legally. And, so, and CPS is Child Protective Services, yeah, yeah, yeah. just in case <laughs> anyone doesn't get abbreviations. It also I sometimes to be my daughter's initials. So. There you go. <laughs> we thought. Oh, about that I did later. not realize that. Yeah, somebody bought her a blanket that's monogrammed, but it says CPS on it. <laughs> so we're always like, oh, they're going to come claim her. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Before I get to kind of the next related topical question, is there like a, a, a something to like lift the spirits where it's like, I don't know how to say like break confidence by telling us something cute, but is there like a cute way that we can dr- transition to the next topic? I guess I want, I want to have an Oliver, uh, a uh, John Oliver kind of moment, but I'm not <laughs> that experienced to do the high low ride that he does brilliantly. I mean, I'm not as good with that either. And this is like a really dark topic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's actually going to get darker because yeah. Miss Honey is derelict in her duties. So <laughs> no, but I, yeah. I mean, I will say though, like on the flip side, like it's not just what students tell us, it's also what we tell students. So there's like certain things that you shouldn't share with your students. And actually some teachers see things a little bit differently, but like, for example, I don't give my phone number to my families. That's like a privacy thing that I keep to myself. Um, Usually I don't give my address to families. Obviously we're living in unprecedented times. So my families have had to send some stuff to me to get them to me since they're not seeing me at school. Yeah. Um, Usually some teachers will choose to keep their personal life very personal because we just don't want those things out there. It's important for students to kind of see us, even in these days, as like a pillar of society and modesty and goodness. Um, so as 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 the Miss Honey without exactly, the talent scouting. Exactly. So we try and keep like social media private, Facebook private. One of my students just found me on TikTok. So that's going to be an awkward wow. conversation. But wow. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, mostly we just try and keep work and our personal life separate. And it's important to have some boundaries there. Okay. And then I guess my last question before we see if Will has any, I know that we're tough on Miss Honey sometimes for good reason, Can you talk a little bit about whether or not it was appropriate? I feel like this is a constant trope when it comes to mentors and educators. And as a young kid, I consumed this like this. What whether we like it or not, folks, we are the TV generation that Doll was worried about. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear your thoughts on whether or not it was appropriate for Miss Honey to check out Matilda's skills in secret, taking her back to her very sweet, but could have been yeah, like Wicked Witch of the West, like Hansel and Gretel kind of situation. But I, but I know different communities have different relationships. Rural and urban can be different. And you can't speak on everyone. But in books, I think, oh, how cute. And in real world, I think. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, honestly, I give a lot of passes to Miss Honey on this instance. So I've been to student houses many. I've had students invite me for birthday parties and for a variety of other things um, just to hang out because they missed me over the summer, always yeah. with parent present, always with parent permission. That's sure. that's kind of like where the big thing 
with me and Miss Honey and this one is that her parent Matilda's parents don't know where she is. Nobody has checked in with them. She didn't call them. Um, she's just like taking their kid, which of course we know that they're horrible and abusive and everything. And I think Miss Honey does too, because yeah. you know she says so. That like her. Dad she's also been there, you know. Right. At, she's been for there, all she's of one it. time, but still, she has seen it. Yeah, well, that true. that is kind of like where she's derelict in her duties, though. Is that's where mm -hmm. that mandated reporting should have come in? I don't know what the rules were in, uh... in England at the time, but she should have reported some sort of child abuse, um, in that sense. Ding, ding, ding. Mm. There's that boat. That's it. But talking, yep. like talking to Matilda about what Matilda wanted to talk about in private, I think is acceptable. Um, we have a rule. What I've been taught since I started teaching is you just don't close a door. You always leave yeah. the door uh -huh. open. Um, you don't want anybody suspecting you of anything. If things like get a little bit like you feel weird and like your radar is going off, have somebody else come in because we just have to cover ourselves. And it's, you know, yep. there's some right. bad people out there who are doing horrible things to children. And so we've got to be careful. Yeah, I mean, I think in this case, Miss Honey knew that Matilda needed somebody. And we feel that as teachers, when a kid needs to tell us something and they just really need to get it off their chest, taking mm -hmm. her back to her house is sketchy for sure. Yeah. Okay, right. Will, any, yeah. any other questions since we got a teacher on yeah. the line before we started? Sorry, you got like way more than you asked for. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this, this is, is I mean, when do people get to candidly talk yeah. about these kind of things? And, and Flo, you mentioned one of the, I mean, I, I was going to ask, yeah. you, you mentioned TikTok, right? And in this day and age, I mean, Doll was looking at this like TV generation and now these kids are in some kind of like, three second time span internet generation and it's crazy like Good how point. quickly this these kids like learn the internet and they could like probably find you on, on any manner of like social media it must be weird well especially in this particular day and age of COVID-19 yeah. we're doing everything online my students have learned to use zoom they all know how to put on virtual backgrounds they know like I've got one kid right now and I'm not gonna state his name because he's one <laughs> who would totally listen but he has figured out that the way to annoy me virtually is by requesting remote access to my Zoom repeatedly so I get a pop-up. Holy <laughs> so, cow. So I've had to, what to boot him out of Zoom numerous times. Oh, that's like that's goodness. like itch powder. Yeah, yeah. It was... Let's do do an age check again. How how old is uh, this hooligan? He is six. See? There you go. So yeah, there. But it is crazy like how many things they've had to learn to do. Like right now we're each making a bitmoji so that we can make a bitmoji class picture. So I actually, I know listeners, you can't see this, but Sarah and Will will. So here's uh, one of my students' bitmojis that's chilling with me. Uh, here, uh, since this again is an auditory medium, paint paint a picture of it with your words flow. Okay, so one of take, my, take us there. One of my students, and actually it's that same student who um, has been remote accessing my screen uh -huh. <laughs> uh, he is really into sports his mom shaved his head during quarantine accidentally so he has a very shaved head and he is in soccer clothes with a soccer ball give me a thumbs up and i've printed him out the size of my palm and he's hanging out with me and i'll be including the rest of my students next to me when i get those pictures in but yeah kids they're all on social media they when actually the craziest thing is when you ask them what they want to be they all say youtubers there you go so you mean like as a profession as a profession yeah they'll say and youtubers influencers um steamers 
It's totally, it's totally possible. And so now that we understand a little bit of the precocious real life magic of Flo's real life students, let's pivot again to focus back on Matilda and talk about Miss Honey discovering that Matilda is quote unquote magical. Will, take it away. Yeah, so this this isn't quite uh, Flo being asked for remote access, <laughs> but but maybe it is. Who knows? Yeah, so let's remember that M- Miss Honey doesn't believe that Matilda actually has these magical powers, that she actually pushed over the glass of water, and she thinks at first when Matilda confesses, quote, how often small children have flights of fancy like this. And she even smiles a little bit at Matilda, like asking if she could put she should put water in the glass and she thinks there's no possible way that matilda actually tips over the, the glass i don't know if flo you might have challenged your student to you know <laughs> remote into your zoom but these things seem to have a these teachers have a way of being proved wrong oh yeah yeah miss honey's really wrong in this instance and i've got to tell you i've been wrong many times where kids <laughs> tell me stuff and i'm like uh-huh yeah of course you can and they're like no but actually <laughs> Right. So Matilda here focuses all of her energy and attention on building up that power behind her eyes. And even more quickly than before, yikes, but excitingly, she tips the glass over not 12 inches from Miss Honey's once skeptical face with folded arms. And the picture that doll paints is both alarming and alluring. Miss Honey, quote, saw the child white in the face, as white as paper, trembling all over. The eyes glazed, staring straight ahead and seeing nothing. The whole face was transfigured, the eyes round and bright, and she was sitting there speechless, quite beautiful in a blaze of silence. Miss Honey waited, trembling a little herself, and watching the child as she slowly stirred herself back into consciousness. And then suddenly, click, went her face into a look of almost severe calm. I'm all right, Matilda said, and she smiled. I'm quite all right, Miss Honey, so don't be alarmed. Woof. So whether or not we should be alarmed depends on this vocab moment. Will, what's this fancy schmancy angelic word that Miss Honey and Doll use here? Yeah, absolutely. So seraphic calm here is like angelic calm because uh, a seraph is a member of an order of angels and is represented often with a child's head with wings above, below, and on each side. So in other words, six wings total. And that's the, that's the biblical reference. Um, and it also, the word dates back to uh, the Hebrew uh, seraphim, uh, which was thought to have meant uh, the burning one, um, as the seraphs were traditionally flaming uh, angels with, with flaming wings. The, the singular seraph, um, we think, comes from actually John Milton, who was super into both his Latin and his Hebrew, um, and he used it in book one of Paradise Lost. And that is uh, that is my like super geeky college nerddom coming out there. And you also mentioned something about the number of wings that we found surprising. Can you hit us with that numerical value of wings again? Yeah, it's six, a six-winged angel, which is interesting. Wild. I'm telling you, is... again, that's a straight-up murder hornet angel. That is a straight-up murder <laughs> hornet angel. And- 
And if you if you look at like pictures of of old depictions of Seraphim, they're kind of crazy looking. Yeah. Yeah. So man, well, there are actually a lot of religious shout outs in this chapter. Um, obviously, Miracle is in the chapter's name, so that's a pretty obvious one. Um, then Miss Honey tells Matilda that if she managed to actually tip over a glass of water with her eyes, that it would be, quote, just about the greatest miracle a person has ever performed since the time of Jesus. And as a Jewish person, I was actually very uncomfortable reading that out loud to my class. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, then um, later, Roald Dahl again mentions Silver Wings. Shouts to Clone Wars episodes, Colleen. Pew, 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 pew. Colleen, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, remember, remember, are you the Silver Angel? So you'll have to check out those episodes for that. Um, and, and what else? Was there another big one, Flo? Uh, yeah, so Miss Honey later looks at Matilda in, quote, absolute wonderment, as though she were the creation, the beginning of the world, the first morning. So there you go. That's pretty biblical. For, for my Hebrews so, out there, that's Brachit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so, it's, it's so surprisingly religious, kind of almost out of nowhere. Like, I know that they are taking a religious studies class. I know that certain schools do that to this day, depending public, private, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But I mean, here in particular, Dahl is really evoking magic in a religiously significant kind of way. Flo and Will, do you know, does this translate in any of his other books? I know this is kind of off the cuff, but to me, this this really stands out more than any other of Dahl's or frankly, besides Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, and that was quite subtle in comparison to this. <laughs> I mean, my, my specialty is the witches, and uh -huh. I don't recall any overtly religious symbols in the witches. Um, I mean, it's all about witches, which is pretty right. non-religious. <laughs> Yeah, and I more religious to different people, to potato, potato, <laughs> yeah. tomato, tomato. Well, I actually, yeah. I've got a degree in Jewish studies, and so I actually tend to find a lot of um, religious things in various texts, and I don't recall mm -hmm. any in the yeah. witches. But this one yeah, was it, pretty shocking, and all like yeah. clumped together. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. I mean, and you, and you know, there are three miracles. They, they, they are very much clumped together. I mm -hmm. don't think it's really that much of a feature in a lot of Dahl's other stuff. So I think you're absolutely right that it, 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 he hits you with it right here. One really quick thing: I think if there are any C.S. Lewis scholars listening, they will dispute your point that the lie in the witch in the wardrobe is subtle, and there's nothing subtle about it. In fact, but you're right. Yeah. Like, yeah, like they, they all just kind of like throw it out there and he and, and doll just like like you said puts it on the page here and see that's really funny will because i again this all depends on the communities yep. who you were sharing these books with it, yada yada that's but right. to me it wasn't until probably my 20s unless i'm forgetting mm -hmm. that it that i even learned that people considered the line the witch in the wardrobe to be almost a religious text that that yeah. still is 
just a cognitive cognitive dissonance in my mind. So excellent, touche on that point. But mine too. I mean, honestly, when because I didn't have a very strict like religious background with like either in uh, in anything in the Christian tradition or the Jewish tradition, and the first time I read C.S. Lewis or Madeline Langle, I did not read any kind of religious connotations into it. Yeah. After I read some some of the bible or and, and learn more about religious studies i went back and read c.s lewis and madeline langle and it was like oh you are beating me over the head <laughs> with your theology and it's it's not but it's not obvious until then yeah right? I, think, I think it really depends how old you were when you read it too as to yeah. like what level kind of like with matilda like as we're rereading yes. as adults the levels are completely different i actually never liked c.s lewis but i was a huge wrinkle in time girl Mm -hmm. Probably because there's like a tall redhead in it. I love redheads. <laughs> Which like I've got a type, and I do too. <laughs> so yeah, but those religious um, kind of tie-ins did not hit me either until I reread gotcha. it as an adult before the movie came out. So. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So now that we kind of understand that religious significance, has either Shar or Charlie respectively performed any miracles that you're willing to go public about on air? <laughs> now that we've wrapped up that chapter, let's head I mean, I'm going to be sappy and say that Charlotte's whole existence is a miracle because she was not Aww. supposed to be here and she's my little IVF baby and um, so yeah, her whole her whole life is a miracle in terms of like oh and and you know what Flo because you haven't done this before this is a perfect can you do a little plug for for the space that you've created outside of BGS oh, sure. if if you want yeah absolutely um so as some of you may or may not know if you've listened to previous episodes I am um, very vocal about infertility and infertility advocacy we um, went through infertility for a number of years for having our daughter. And so if you're struggling with infertility, um, you can always follow me on my personal Instagram at hatching underscore baby underscore Siegel. Um, or you can always go to the resolve.org website and learn more about infertility advocacy, which is one of my big things that I promote. So thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because that, I mean, the the theme for next episode is probably going to be secret truths. And I think it's very important that this secret becomes a more public truth. And I think Flo is making some really, really big efforts in that regard. So sorry, sorry no, that I cut you off, but I think it's for an important Yeah, reason. and I'll be happy to talk about it whenever because it affects one mm -hmm. in eight couples, which is a really big deal. So somebody you know probably struggles yes. with infertility. So just talk about yep. it. Maybe go talk to Miss Honey about it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. Exactly. Or if you're watching the musical, then you've already talked about it with Miss Honey. <laughs> And what what about um, you, Will? Has Charlie done anything particularly angelic or demonic as of late? Wait, and I, that was I not like that you same question I was asked. No, but see, you know, you, you see, 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 you know that I am going to approach this in a much more cynical way than Flo, and my answer is going to be. Yes, absolutely. He has done things to make me think that he has magic in them. What kind of magic that may be may vary from day to day. Right. And and I think, Flo, you're from what you've told me, the experience with Shars is is similar, right? Oh, and 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 we it's it's always sometimes it's you know, how how did you manage to do that in a good way? And in other ways it's how did you manage to do that in a not so good way? 
but that's I mean, fine. Yesterday, I, I'm, this is a true story. Nobody has heard this yet. I thought my husband, shout out to Evan, was going to kill me because I was outside with Charlotte and I literally looked away for one second to ponder how many bees were in a bush near us. And I look around and Evan is frantically knocking on the window because Charlotte, who is two and a half, has managed to climb into her water table without making a single sound and is now standing in the water table. So I was what, to... what is a water table? I water have no table idea is like is. a random like container that you play with with water. It's like mm -hmm. raised, like it's to almost her chest height. Okay. And she stepped into it silently. I swear, not a drop of water splashed out. I didn't hear a thing. I was about to call Hogwarts because I was like, "This is." She just like this is it. This is the moment. <laughs> it was wild. But besides that, her usual um, magic is to wake up at the exact same time every day. That is way too early for mom and dad. Perfect. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I thought I was going to say that he. Um... Never mind. I was going to say something a little different, which is that he manages to go to the bathroom every time, every at oh. the same time, every single day. But that's not magical. <laughs> well, that's just amazing. That is amazing, man. Yeah. I wish I could do that. Plan out my life a little bit better. That's right. Eight thirty a.m. Eight thirty p.m. Wow. So, Anyways, Sarah. So, <laughs> anyway. So now that we have a better understanding of the precociousness of our kiddos, let's head over for some babysitting at Hagrid's, I mean Miss Honey's Cottage in the next chapter. Bring on the animated magic of inspired curious children. All right, here's a quote. And now that they were alone, Matilda all of a sudden became wildly animated. It seemed as though a valve had burst inside her and a great gush of energy was being released. It was Miss Honey this and Miss Honey that and Miss Honey, I honestly feel I can move almost anything in the world, not just tipping over glasses and little things like that. I feel I could topple tables and chairs, Miss Honey. I only have to take a moment to get my eyes strong and then I can push it out, this strongness, at anything at all, so long as I'm staring at it hard enough. And so for me, this quote is the actual real magic. Uh -huh. Matilda is coming alive. That that to me is even more magical than being able to telekinetically push over a glass of water because we see later and before she can do this stuff on her own, but she can only come alive with engaged adults who want to help her on her quest for knowledge. What do you two think about this quote? I just love the voice in this quote. It sounds exactly like how little kids talk yes. when they're yeah. excited about something. So I, I just yeah. love it. Yep. yep. Same. And and it really it really captures like that youthful voice and also that youthful voice when they figured out that they can do something that they've been wanting to do or didn't know that they could do before. Yes. I mean, it like you, it, it really, you can, you can feel it in this passage. And if you've seen it in kids, like it clicks immediately. That's why we yeah. do the job that we do. Cause we want to see that over and over and over again. So it's the yeah. best. That's, that's what I miss from the art fairs that I'm hoping one day we'll be safe enough to do live. Like those interactions with new, young, engaged art people, uh -huh. that's just absolutely intoxicating. But speaking of intoxicating and kind of overwhelming, I don't know if I've got just too much Star Wars on the brain and reading too much into this, 
but there is a tug and pull and balance here. And I love that Miss Honey and I will let them speak for themselves, but I expect our parents here agree that there is a time for temperance. And so we here at BGS loved it, love Star Wars, but you can almost hear Miss Honey caution her eager Padawan learner from being pulled too quickly and too strongly by the power of her unadulterated, unquantified energy and possibility. Yeah, Miss Honey passage- is such an Obi-Wan in this. It's crazy. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much like moving away from Star Wars for a second, but it's very much like like Matilda here is like Icarus and Miss Honey is like, don't fly too close to the sun, kid. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yes, it, exactly. So like, I mean, let's discuss if if we need to any further, but you kind of see this traditional cautionary tale of exactly your point while flying too close to the sun. Mm-hmm. Matilda craves power hard. You can, you can the Yeah, you can see that she wants it's it's like I can keep going. It doesn't need to be just glasses. It can be people on chairs. It could be buses on pairs. You you hear Magneto go like, yes, finally, <laughs> like finally the one has been born. And and here's Miss Honey wanting to test Matilda. Nods to Flo like, when is this appropriate? How far do we go? But ultimately, props to Miss Honey in this regard. She knows Matilda can get carried away. And 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 she knows this because we see how lethally calm <laughs> Matilda can be under serious pressure, and that's always scary. How she's able to absorb information in this superhuman way, especially for her age. And the fact of the matter is, Miss Honey on her hands has got a under six year old wielding godlike power, and is one who is way too insatiably curious and way too literally quote unquote too steamed up and too concerned to do an inconvenient thing like temper anything. I mean, you can you can hear the classic Anakin, let's see how far we can go kind of trope. Any any other kind of literary things or push pushes where we see this point exemplified further. I, I love this lesson. I'm obsessed with this lesson. I mean, I, I kind of see like a Tom Riddle slughorn sort mm-hmm. of uh, situation here where, except for Miss Honey stops before slughorn does, but. Right, right. Um, this is all theoretical, yeah, it's all, right, Matilda? It's all <laughs> theoretical. I mean, yeah, you know. I would never like lift up people with my eyes and spin them or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just like worried that if Matilda does end up going to Hogwarts that she may fall in with the wrong crowd. Yeah. Cause will, she, will any yeah. other, any other point will, before we actually make kind of that, that exact analogy in a small way in, in our next point, anything further will. Yeah, no, I think you've covered it. Um, it's, it's, it's an old trope, but it's a really important one to, to read in kids literature. It it's, it's in other doll books too. Yeah. I think it's really present here, but it is absolutely in doll um, in other places. Like, I mean, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of at the, towards the end of it, when, um, when Charlie's one of the last, last ones, right. Uh, and he, yeah. And he drinks the fizzy water and there's, there's kind of the same lesson there too. 
Yep. And so I guess um, now would be a good point for us to take a quick beat as we like to do to draw that um, kind of comparison between Dahl and Rowling here. So I kind of selected two key quotes from Matilda and Harry Potter to do kind of a compare and contrast. Flo, could you take us away with our first key Matilda quote from this chapter? Sure. Am I a phenomenon? Matilda asked. (laughs) It's quite possible that you are, Miss Honey said, but I'd rather you didn't think about yourself as anything in particular at the moment. What I thought we might do is explore this phenomenon a little further, just the two of us together, but making sure we take things very carefully all the time. And compare it to chapter one, book one of the Harry Potter series, when our Dumbly Bumblebee and Macat Galleon are sitting outside at the Dursley house discussing where the boy who lived will live. And she is aghast that he would choose such a kind of quote unquote unsuitable, unwizardly home above all others. Mm-hmm. Will, what's. What's the key quote here? Yeah, this is uh, kind of like if uh, if Miss Honey is kind of like helicopter parenting it a little bit, then uh, Dumbledore is more of like, let's let them be like a latchkey kid, right? And the quote is, you don't mean, you can't mean the people who live here, cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't. And yes, we see Professor McGonagall bemoan Dumbledore's off-campus choices for her future good Gryffindor Quidditch uh, player, exclaiming, really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly. It would be enough to turn any boy's head. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? And I personally appreciate like finally role models in books with where characters have like demigod powers that could possibly destroy a world going temperance, temperance. But but as someone who covets those capabilities, I don't know if I would have the temperance required. So so I don't know. No safer place than Crunchham Hall as long as you study telekinesis at your favorite teacher's cottage, I guess. And so what are we to think here? Are Miss Honey and Albus running similar playbooks here on their star pupils what do we think about that before we wrap up on that regarding um my next comparison quote when it comes to teaching powerful younglings when you see that kind of glint in their eye realizing something precocious and dangerous is afoot yeah i feel like one of the fun discussions about dumbledore is like how much he had planned right from beginning to end and we like to think that he had everything mapped out like how how it was all going to play out but of course uh when we first read it and even and maybe all the way up to the end we're like what in the heck are you doing you know and and just being completely hands off and and maybe miss miss honey's not quite uh ready to do that but she is also uh she also does want to temper matilda's instincts a little bit yeah, I mean, I think Albus and Miss Honey both really love the people that they're taking care of in this instance. Um, however, they've got very different ways of showing it. Miss Honey 
as we'll find out later, spoiler, takes in Matilda as her own, whereas Dumbledore is always, like, very hands-off, won't talk to Harry for long spans of time, um, yeah. in an effort to temper him. However, right. it backfires because he's, you know, 15 and moody. And I would be excited to see how Matilda is when she's 15 and compare that yeah. to Order of the Phoenix Harry because yes. I think they would be, like, a really intense duo. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, speaking of that, and not to belabor the quote, to just get to the nitty gritty here, we're looking at glints and glimmers and eyes and faces. In Matilda, Miss Honey describes what she sees on Matilda's face as a strange and distant glimmer that you had after you tipped over the glass. In comparison, we're not, I'm not going to draw it to Harry. I'm going to do it shockingly to Tom Riddle where we see, quote, an odd red gleam in his hungry eyes now when he's got Harry and Ginny down in the Chamber of Secrets book two. So still, again, very young and Flo and Will just adjusted their glasses because this is like spicy stuff here going on for, for both of these just huge literary characters it's this gleam and glint in one's eyes in comparison to like one of the most beloved moments of Dumbledore, that like twinkling calm blue versus hot, angry red. I suppose what, if anything, do you two think on this glint glimmer aspect and do either of you, your two kids, I, I only have pets and I can tell when they have their <laughs> gleams and glints in their eyes, but any additional points on the feistiness and glimmer and gleam of eyes? I mean, I think for both Matilda and Tom Riddle, it's just a lot of power that's been untapped and in a lot of ways been repressed. I think mm -hmm. Tom had to like really repress his powers for a large portion of his childhood and Matilda's parents and her upbringing have really repressed her. And I wonder if Dumbledore's eyes would have been similar back when he was with Grindelwald and had like Indeed. more of a dark ambition. And then now, since he has found that temperance, now they're that twinkling blue, that calm demeanor. Um, but I, I wonder if he was always that way. This is like my favorite. I love yeah. talking yeah. about Harry Potter it's, so much. It's fun stuff. Yeah. And I think you're right to pick up on the, the Tom Riddle comparison, right? Because we see very early on in this book, Matilda using, if not like the powers of her telekinetic mind, at least the powers of her mind to do some mm -hmm. serious, serious damage to people in revenge. And Tom Riddle isn't all that different from what we know about him. And the the whole maybe the whole point of this is how how good teachers can take that kind of power and help you mold it into something more productive than just revenge and destruction. Yeah, I mean, I think Matilda definitely could have been pushed to go into the cave. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. As for my own kid, my own Charlotte, uh, yeah, she definitely has like a, a sneaky little gleam. It's very different than like her excited gleam, like when we're at Disney World or Disneyland, then she gets like super, super stoked. But Definitely when she's up to no good, like right now she's really into secrets. So she'll lean in and go, mama, let's go tickle daddy. And so that's just like been a really fun, like little glimmer uh -huh. in her eyes. <laughs> nice. No, yeah. And I, I've always thought that like all kids are like that because mine is, but 
apparently not. Like some some kids just aren't as they they don't go through that kind of like deceit slash secret slash like I, I mean I don't know how it's possible. Apparently, it's not universal. So I was I was and still am a very candid kid. Just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But but I'll I'll, 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 also, I'll also say this because this will maybe lighten the mood and my co-host can tell me if this needs to be cut or not. I mean, I was like a bare naked. It does not. I was a total free spirit. And so my parents had to deal with teaching me to like not take off my clothes at a friend's oh, house because well, my kid's constantly naked <laughs> there you go yes okay okay i, do, I always yeah go i, I ahead, do Will. wonder if like this quarantine is really gonna mess up some kids in that they don't wear pants anymore yeah yeah like how are you gonna ever get your kids to wear pants after this is all over you won't yeah yeah yep. so, anyway. or shoes so or so, shoes so I'll say to any of you parents, then, since this is a confession and it still obviously happens because we're because we're all humans, okay? And so I'll say also that since it's ear since it's snowing in Erie, Pennsylvania, I also not only did I have a nudist streak when I was very little, I also would wear summer dresses in the winter. Uh-huh. And so my mom had gotten in trouble either with like the PTA or someone at the school for exactly some of the stuff we talked about earlier in this episode. Like, is Sarah being taken care of at home? Mm-hmm. Yes. She just likes wearing summer dresses no matter what the weather is. So my oh. consolation to you parents where the struggle is real. <laughs> But you're right, though, like teachers do see that. And we do wonder, like, I've got kids who when it's raining are in shorts and a t-shirt. I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, who didn't put a jacket on you? And then now my kid is just like running around butt naked. And I'm like, oh, I get it. Never mind. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So so I guess what we should remember now before we move into the next segment is empathy, understanding, patience and temperance. Because before we forget this, lest we not remember it, let's move to our next segment where we continue that tinfoil crinkling to talk about whether or not Miss Honey may be under a memory charm. And so in past episodes, we've looked at whether or not in our little community headcanon, whether Crunch and Paul could be a theater school for Hogwarts. And we slated some of the classmates into magical, non-magical categories and houses. And I can understand how some of you who may enjoy this tinfoil theory may be thinking, well, are the teachers here all part of the ruse? Agatha Trunchbull certainly seems to be but Miss Honey seems really surprised when a prodigal witch pops out of nowhere. So have you two considered this at all? First, is she muggle or magical? And regardless, or if so, is she under a memory charm or not? Will, what, what do you think? Totally putting you on the spot here. The argument in favor of Miss Honey being magical, right, is when, uh, and and we really, I think, all liked her introduction way back when, when we talked about her ability to kind of connect with these kids, and that's that's a kind of magic, and so that would kind of kind of suggest that maybe she is, and maybe she's magic in the in the way that kind of like in 
the Fantastic Beasts movies. Like you have characters like Queenie who you don't see cast a lot of spells, but certainly you see read, read minds and be, um, be empaths a lot. And so maybe she's specialized in that way. And maybe, maybe that's how the, maybe that's how the teachers at Crunchum Hall work. I don't know. Just a thought. I mean, in my opinion, she is a muggle. However, she's still magical because all teachers are magical and that's what makes us special. And I think parents are realizing this in this time that teachers are essential in their own brand of magic. (laughs) Yes. And so, I mean, to me, I say muggle, but not as like a derogatory thing, just as she just has her own brand of magic that isn't defined by Hogwarts standards. Yeah, I like I like both of those responses. What about whether or not she's under a memory charm? Like, does she know that she works at a feeder school? <laughs> does she have no absolute idea? What do you two think? So, okay, here's my wondering. First of all, I don't think that she would need a memory charm because I wonder how many kids in her class would actually exhibit magical prowess or oh. if that shows up later. Ravenclaw, yeah. <laughs> no, mostly just like really used to little kids. <laughs> I like that though, Flo. Nice. So, okay. I mean, I just don't think that she sees it as much. I think Matilda right. just happened to show her abilities quite early. But I think Miss Honey is like pretty open to things because she doesn't recoil when she sees Matilda's magic. So yep. I feel yeah. like she's accepting of whatever but also doesn't usually see it. And so therefore it doesn't require a memory charm. And also I wonder how long she's been teaching again. So it's like, how how many kids has she really taught? Well, yeah. And in the Harry Potter universe, you definitely have muggles who are well aware of the wizarding world. Um, You have examples. I mean, the, the prime minister of England, Hermione's parents, you know, various other muggles who just know that magic is a thing in this world. And they seem to deal with it pretty well. I mean, you're forgetting yeah. Seamus Finnegan's dad. Well, yeah. Uh, he had, I heard he had a bit of a nasty shock. Though. He did. Yes. Yes, he did. Oh, uh, well, I, I love that. And frankly, I won't be able to top what's already been added. So let's move on as we privately think a little bit more about that crinkle tinkle tinfoil i mean feel free listener send send in your own theory or response we'd love to hear from you it really picks us up but until then will why don't you close us out on our our short little thought to think on by posing questions to our listeners sure thing yeah, and I really I really like this one because so this question of are authors like Roald Dahl and J.K. Rowling covering up for the magical community in the UK is just so fun because we we know that they're they're they writing are. Yes. Well, they, <laughs> yes, yeah, we know that they are. Exactly. They're part of the right. statute okay. of secrecy a million percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't have to say say it as much. They're just kind of like tap on the nose, like wink wink nudge nudge. They're because... one of the muggles in the know. Like we exactly. just said them. Exactly. Yeah. They're giving us as much as they can without being, you know, having their Before minds. Before their erased. quick quills. Yeah, go exactly. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that question. Um, in as much if, if it's even a question, because we know the answer. Because you have you have Matilda here, you have a few miles away Harry Potter. You have you just have these lovely communities that that they've painted for us, um, and so we'd love to know what other books featuring uh, magical kiddos our listeners are reading to uh, are reading these days. Um, and yeah, we'd love you to chime in. 
yeah so do you want me to sign off yep <laughs> so if you'd like da, to da, share da, da, da. <laughs> if you'd like to share what you're reading nowadays um yeah i personally would definitely love to see it because that'd be great book recommendations for my own class um yeah. so please feel free to share some of your favorite matilda moments or other books quotes questions answers on instagram at bohemian geek studies on twitter at geek studies or by emailing us your favorite magical books or whatever else you want to tell us, frankly, at bohemiangeekstudies yeah. at gmail.com. And you may be possibly featured in a future episode. And legit positive stories are really hot right now. They we are. Want, yeah. We want some good news. So send it to us, especially if it's hot and positive. Until then, wands up and keep those pages turning.